Hello and welcome to the August edition of the Organic Gardening Podcast. I'm Fiona Taylor and later on I'll be joined by my colleagues from Garden Organic, Chris Collins and Emma O'Neill. So harvest time has begun, but we're turning our thoughts to what you can still sow now. It's not too late for potatoes, apparently, and also for quicker growing crops whilst the soil is still warm. Beetroot, spinach, winter lettuce. Chris has got all sorts of tips to share. Later on, we'll be hearing from Pam Whittle, OBE, Garden Organics Vice President for Scotland, who talks to us about the link between public health and gardening and how important it is to show people how to grow which Pam has spearheaded by putting a kitchen garden next to a cafe in one of Edinburgh's public parks so people can see for themselves the food as it grows. And in our post bag, Chris and Emma will be answering questions on tomato leaf curl, supermarket herbs and why using washing up liquid to control aphids is a bad idea. But before we start, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, Viridian Nutrition. Viridian produces a range of award-winning ethical and organic supplements, which include vitamins, minerals, herbal oils and balms. I love the way they call themselves the vitamin company with an organic heart. Their supplements are stocked in over a thousand specialist health stores across the UK. So to find out more, visit viridian-nutrition.com. And now I'm off to join Chris in our virtual potting shed. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm good, Fiona. How are you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. My goodness, it's been wet, hasn't it? It has. It's rained a bit, isn't it? <laughs> it's one thing or the other, isn't it? <laughs> I saw a brilliant uh, cartoon, uh, like a garden, I think it was a gardening magazine, where there was just this hand coming out of water saying, thanks for the rain, but you can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I tell you, it's not hands coming out of my soil, it's weeds everywhere. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, well, it's perfect weed condition, isn't it? I mean, I, I obviously get so busy in the spring and early summer that I don't have the time that I usually have to be down the allotment and it's just just oh, it's incredible the growth rate of it is just you know so i've had a bit of a battle on there really it's looking all right now but it's been a perfect perfect weather really i think for weed growth really fleshy aren't they i thought so i've noticed they're, they're quite weak to be fair yeah so they've grown really quickly but they're actually quite easy to to get on top of yeah they're pulling all right you can kind of tell when a plant's put a lot of growth quick because the internodes the gaps between the nose and leaf joints tend to be much longer sort of elongated so there's been certainly a lot i think it's been particularly good yeah, for our annual weeds, ones that just grow through the growing season and over winter seed. I think they particularly enjoyed it sort of, sort of warmer during the day, damp conditions, cooler at night. They seem to have taken off. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because you look at it, when you look at it, it's all weedy. Oh, no. But once you get going, you quite enjoy you know, sorting it out. So I don't mind so much. Yes. And actually, if the soil is is still a bit wet, it, they come they out pull, so easily. Yeah. Yeah. If you've been looking after your soil and the soil's in good nick, they pull really easy. And it's all compost material. So it all goes on the compost bin. It's all going to get recycled back into the into the system later down the line. I often think as well, it does at least mean that the soil is covered. You know, if yeah. if the weeds aren't, you know, uh, pernicious or or, or deep rooted or, or damaging, at least you know while your back's turned, mm. at least the soil is covered. It's not washing away. Yeah, you're not leaching through. There's a lot to be said for that. I think an, an exposed soil is far more vulnerable than one that's got stuff growing in it. You got to remember the roots of those plants are aerating the soil. They're keeping the soil structure. Uh, correct you know they're retaining the water so i think if you have got a lay area you've got two choices you can sow a, a, a green manure that you prefer to be more neat and tidy about it but if you have got an area that you're not using maybe it's good that you just leave it for the pollinators and at least that soil structure is maintained yeah absolutely and and as we say it comes out quite easily i mean i've got a block of sweet corn 
Um, and it's a bit late, I have to be honest. It's, it's really not coming up as quick as I'd like mm. it. But it's tall enough that it's taller than these weeds that we're yeah. talking about. So I'm, I'm less worried about it because, you know, although, it, you know, I, I know that weeds, of course, compete with nutrients, you know, I'll get to them eventually. Yeah. But in the meantime, it's yeah. not, it's, let's not stress about it. Yeah, I think so. You can be, afford to be a bit more relaxed about it all, I think. And be honest with you, sweet corn, I, sow my, I like to sow mine quite late. I don't know why, but I've always just done it that way. They catch up. You have a burst of sun for a few days or a couple of weeks, the sweet corn will catch up and you'll get your crop. Well, that's encouraging because they really aren't looking like that's going to happen at the moment. <laughs> Mind you, I've got quite a lot of catching up to do because, as you remember, I lost quite a few plants at the beginning yeah. of the season due to scorching. Um, and so actually everything's a bit behind. So my um, my courgettes particularly um, are only just beginning to put little flowers on. So uh, They'll, they'll yeah. come soon enough. I'm drowning in courgettes. <laughs> I'm not being funny. I don't know what I do. I've got hundreds of them. I was thinking about lying and putting them in a big row and say, look, I've been out courgette hunting and this is what I caught it's literally like that but i tell you something they've caused yet off the plants if you buy them from a supermarket i don't really ta- you can't really taste them but these organic off my block i've really they're i grate them and i to maybe fry them in a little bit of butter or they're amazing tasting it's just i've just got a surplus so i wouldn't worry they'll be on their way because <laughs> when they go they really go and i like to pick them quite small because they're very juicy and then that way it keeps producing the, the fruit as well it keeps them going and so small in a salad you know you don't even have to yeah they're just absolutely delicious but a Abundant is the word. Yeah. Yes, and actually picking them small as well. I don't know what it is. We sort of think we can't, but actually pick them small. They're yeah. absolutely they're, Well, I tell you what I do with them small. I like on a Saturday morning, I have them with my fried breakfast, and they're absolutely delicious with a bit of butter. They are wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, delicious. Uh, how are you getting on with your beans this year? Because last year, during that very, very hot spell, mm. everybody was reporting that it was a terrible year for runner beans, you know, the, the absolute staple of the, you know, of the great British vegetable patch, <laughs> yeah. isn't it, frankly? Yeah. Um, but, but this year, how are your runner beans doing? It's, they're doing brilliantly. And you're right. It, to me, last year, they were a bit of a write-off. And that's because they're one of those um, plants that you always think, I'll oh, get guaranteed to give it a lot of potatoes. I'm guaranteed crop off them. Because of that heat, they just, they like their dampness around, a lot of, a lot of OM and dampness around their roots. So they just didn't do well last year. They kind of started and then fade, and then sort of faded out. This year, <laughs> they're looking really healthy. We've had the coolest spring. We've had quite a lot of moisture. I'm going to be picking beans, I think, right the way through to the first frosts. And again, so delicious straight off the plant. And is it too late to sow them? I mean, we're in August now. What do you reckon? Well, I reckon I would give it a go because if the soil's warm, I wouldn't bother doing them in pots or trainers or anything. I'll just try my luck. I just pop some seeds in around the base of your bamboo or whatever you're growing them up and let them go. I have planted them quite late in the past. You haven't really got anything to lose. If you've got 20 spare broad, sort of runner bean seeds, you know, you get 50, 60 in a packet, just pop some in and see if they go. <laughs> Have you ever grown uh, potatoes in a bag? I have. I've just harvested some, funnily enough. Oh, from a bag? Yeah, from a bag. And I have a very um, um, precise way of doing it. So what I'll do is I, I actually grow them in Hessian. Um, but but I I've I've, can grow them in – you get special bags you can buy from the shops as well. But what I do is I roll them down to about a third or a quarter even – put my soil in, put put my potatoes just below the soil. And then what happens as the potatoes start to grow, I roll the bag up a bit, adds more soil, roll the bag up a bit, add more soil. So you get this layer of potatoes right through the bag. As long as you keep them moist, don't let it dry out, you can crop a lot of potatoes from a, from a bag. 
There was a reason I asked that question. Did you let them get dry? (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't actually get them in. Right. Uh, So I had some very, very late uh, seed potatoes. So I knew that they would, I could have put them in. If I put them in in the first, I probably could have got away with it up until maybe the third week in June. Yeah. But of course, I didn't quite get them in. And so my thinking was if I started them off in a bag. Yeah in the greenhouse and maybe I could even bring them into the house towards yeah. uh, if it gets really cold um, you know just a bag or two and and see how I get on well I would just put them in open ground it's not I, I put potatoes in quite late my lates because I like them for Christmas dinner so I would even in August yeah because you've got to remember we've still got Three months of a growing season. Well, we you haven't. Know. We haven't. Hang on. August to September. September to October. October to November. I'm yeah. So uh, yeah. So thing. well, I think I think if you think about the rate a potato grows once it comes through, they're pretty rapid growing plants. I don't know what you, you might be compromised on the amount of of, of potatoes you actually. Uh, managed to yield from them but I'd give it a go you can put them in a bag if you want I wouldn't bring them inside but I'd put them in a greenhouse or even outside or you can plant them straight in trench them and put them straight in I'd give it a go it's nothing to lose by I literally put some in mid-July because I want my Christmas crop Okay, all right. All right. Well, I will give it a go yeah. and I will report back. Yes, that's yeah. why not. I think it's important to experiment, you know, this kind of and obviously this is related to how what the climate's like it might be different in one part of the country part of the other, but I think that is certainly I I put stuff in late. I put, you know, I'm still sowing now really. I'm still sowing quite what a lot. What are you sowing? Go on, tell well, us. Well, I've got I've, I've certainly putting in turnips and swedes. So I'm putting them in there quite late, but they will put on growth and they will sit in the ground once the growing season finishes, you see. So And I can, you're growing you're sowing them th- I'm sowing them in drills, in yeah, drills. actually straight out. I'm also, all the salad crops, which were poor earlier in the season, for some reason they kept bolting, things like spinach. I've sown all those. I've sown salad, lettuce, uh, beetroot I've sown again. I've got carrots in again. So that was sort of late July, early August. I did a big load of drill sowing and that, and that and a lot of stuff's coming up. So I'm quite optimistic I'll get some food out of that. And that will send me right through to the end of the season. That will keep the crops coming right to the end of the season. I suppose there's something to be said. What's the point in having the seed hanging around? You might as well sow it. Yeah, or open ground. Why, if I've I've just dug up a load of mid and early potatoes not long ago, and I've got a big space I need to fill, so therefore I want to, you know, it's nothing to lose by me drill sowing into those areas to see if I can get future crops. For the first time ever, managed to get two aubergine plants. Uh, they're flowering beautifully, but my worry is, Chris, that um, the first flower that came through then shrivelled up, went brown, yeah. and fell off. The, I've got. Other flowers on yeah. the aubergine plant, are they all going to do the same? They shouldn't do. It sounds like an irrigation thing to me. They're ah. quite sensitive to irrigation. So if it dries out too much, it might flower drop. So you know, all the flower might shrivel. They're an interesting plant because obviously they're Asian originally. I've seen them growing wild in Laos and they grow really baking hot conditions mm. with very little moisture. So I think they like just a little – if you're overwatering or underwatering, they're quite sensitive to right. that. So what I would say is just keep that soil damp. A bit like, you know, if you wash up and you've got a damp tea towel, that sort of dampness. It's yeah. not wet but it's damp. If you can keep the soil around that sort of level, I think you'll stop that sort of bud drop, we call, we call it. But once they set fruit, you don't have to worry about that anymore. So you okay. just leave it. I've got a little one on my balcony at home. It's a miniature. Like they're, they're just so delicious. It's full of flour at the moment, so I'm quite attentive to it because I want to make sure I don't um, disrupt its moisture levels and, and, I, and I lose all that crop. Okay. Um, yes, I, I think I am guilty of the last week or so not being quite so um, regular. On yeah, the so don't worry because yeah. they'll produce more. Well, they're pretty profuse flowers when they get up to sort of yeah. decent-sized plants and they'll be other I'm so excited. Yeah. I, 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 I think, you know, somebody said to me the other day, oh, you only get one aubergine off off off." 
you know, per plant. And I thought, no, I'm <laughs> not. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to prove them wrong. Uh, yeah, definitely. yeah. No, it's nothing like fresh. Again, it's one of those plants like yes. the courgette that can be quite tasteless if it's if you buy it market in a, in a shop, you know, because they, they get stored for quite a long time and picked off the plant. But off the plant, I always, all the food I eat off my allotment is eaten the day I pick it. Mm. And aubergine courgette plants, uh, crops like that are just absolutely delicious. Yeah. I So I have harvested uh, my artichokes this year. I don't know if you remember last year, I I, I left it too late and, and they'd gone to, to flower. Um, so I didn't harvest them because I was, I was just too in, enchanted by the bees all over them. But I, um, yeah, I gathered them in. I've, I've had, uh, we've had six off them so far. Uh, unbelievable flavour. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'd cut them off, walk in the house, yeah. put them in the pot for an hour and, and they've got the most delicious thing ever. I was just fantastic but i've still got some more to come um one thing i did want to say was that it is quite susceptible to black fly yeah. and um i watched all the black fly come you know and and i had that i literally had that organic gardener's experience where you look at it and it's covered in black fly and you think oh no and then you just kind of ignore it and get on with something else and two weeks later it's clean the ladybirds have been to visit yeah yeah the ladybirds have been to visit (sighs) it just shows you i think the big we said this many times your patience is a really important thing especially with organic gardening is don't panic i think people i've seen on my allotment but you know people go oh i've got a pest i need to do something about it it's like it's like you know the world's ended but it hasn't really and an artichoke is a strong, tough plant. Yes. You know, it can bat this stuff off as most plants can. They're adapted to be able to cope with pests. So I think that little bit, take a step back, take a breath, and you'll be away. And you're right. I mean, artichoke hearts are just unbelievable. The Italians are mad for them, aren't they? You go out to Italy, they're all they're just in your sandwiches. They're everywhere. Yeah. And I just think that it's really worth the patience to uh, to be able to eat organic artichoke hearts. <laughs> It's interesting what you say about it being a strong plant in the first place. And, of course, that's the key, isn't it? If if we can grow plants and, and ensure they're strong, then yeah. it will throw off the pest, the disease. Um, what what have you been battling with this, uh, you know, the last month or so yeah. in terms of any any? I yeah. mean, I've got some white fly in the greenhouse. Yeah. To come I've, got white fly, I've got white fly on my brassicas, my little brassicas outside. I've got a little mm. bit of white fly. Um, I've also got, it's been a big year for aphids. They've, I don't know whether the coolest spring um, has maybe triggered, because obviously in the winter they're sexual, in the in the summer they're asexual, so they start producing asexually. Whether the coolest spring meant they all went mad at that point and you've just had a, a, a profuse of numbers. I've had a big problem with slugs and snails, a problem, but there's been a lot of them around because they love this moist weather. So there are around, and I do take some damage but I'm quite happy to do that I think it seems to be a balance we've got obviously we've got a lot of frogs on the allotment I've got slow worms so I'm not overrun with it there is damage there always will be a little bit of damage but I don't think there's any reason to panic about it that's pretty much how I look at it slugs have been yeah particularly challenging to at the seedling stage you know a lot of that a lot of that uh, rain in, in my garden anyway was when I had some very yes know, well I'll, I will see how I get on with my freshly sown lettuce when because uh, of all this rain we've had or in the past whether I take later take a lot of damage so and normally for a lot of stuff i'd like to grow it on first and get it a bit more mature then put it out but if i'm drill sowing then we'll see what happens but you know i think well, the best thing to do is i sow quite a lot and then see what you know because i've got the space to see i don't think they ever take everything they'll take bits and so you have to compromise a little bit i think 
Do you do anything at all? Do you go and, and hunt them down? Do you go? Well, and... Yeah, I've got a pair of tongs, mate, with a snail's name written on it. <laughs> and I'm very, I've said before, I'm very soft now. I, I like as a gardener when we were younger, we used to have a big. This sounds terrible. Sorry to the listeners, but we used to have a big bucket of salty water, and they'd all go in there, which is pretty painful death if I respect if yeah. I reflect now. So now they all go in a bag and they're walked off site. So they, so they yeah, they're released yeah in other areas because it's somebody else's dinner, and they'll all, every animal and every plant does a job. So, but I do the best way when it's been really wet I will just go with a pair of tongs and a, and a bag and I will just literally pick them off yeah 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 absolutely but I do think you're right I mean <sighs> you, you, they will take down a whole row of seedlings, but actually, once the plants got to a certain stage, yeah. you yeah. you're like they to love that really fleshy tender. Yes. You know, then that that's what they're after, yeah. and, they, and they've got a big choice of it, really. So, you know, some some gardeners what they do is they put little decoys in. They'll dig a little pit and put lettuce leaves in or sand leaves to see if the snails will attack that. So, beer traps have been working really well on my allotment, but obviously that's that includes death. <laughs> that's yes. death by yes. but not a bad way to die, actually. So. <laughs> well, we don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's something about drawing them off. I think that that's quite an interesting um, way of doing it, isn't it? They, they say that with um, you know, if if you put uh, the, the the citrus, you know, yeah. put the orange half or whatever, then actually they'll get they're curious, so they'll go off and look at that, and then you can then you've already you can pick that up. Was it? Oh. Take take them off the site and sure. Then you can walk along. I think exactly. with they, their tastes change, uh, snails and slugs. So I've had seasons where they've really attacked one thing, and then the next season blanked it. And, they, and uh, so I think that there's there's no set way of, of, of setting about it really. So my approach to it is I have multi I multi front it. I pick them off the tongs. I set tra- traps for if it's really bad. I like to grow stuff on. It's oh, I like to get birds in and frogs in because they'll also help control it. I don't. It's not one solution. I think you have to hedge your bet a little bit to make it happen yeah no absolutely uh let's talk about flowers for a minute um because actually now is a good time to be thinking ahead and and, and sewing some yes and yeah sew. my, my fox through that my fox gloves i'll put them in there my, okay. my i love i love my sotis i love forget-me-nots because they're just free and they'll go here and there and obviously um Everything goes onto that verge, my famous verge at home. So yeah, if you if you're buying a biannual, basically means they grow in the first year, they flower in the second. So if you're going to go buy a packet of seeds and you see the word biannual, and it'll bi, as opposed to ha or or annuals or, or um, hha half hardy annuals. See bi, you know you sow now, you grow through, you overwinter them, they get away next year, and then they'll flower for you. So you're almost thinking about next year's floral display is a is a, is a way of looking at it, and it's a great way to it's a brilliant you know because you're guaranteed guaranteed you're going to get a flush of flower later in the summer in the following year that's always good to look forward to as well what about green manures right now i mean that's because we talk about getting ready for the winter and and actually Mm. green manures is something we talk about a lot here but but actually where do you get hold of it what is it what what's the best green manures in your in your opinion to to be growing well, I, I have two kinds. I know, I mean, obviously, Anton is our big expert yeah, here. You know, there's nothing he doesn't know about no, green manures. No. <laughs> uh, but I, I have two. I mean, I like mine to be annual to start with. So I don't, some people like to do perennial um, um, growth, sowing of, 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 of green manures. I like my crops to be quick. So I like mustard. And the reason I like mustard, that comes up very fast. You can sow that late August. So I've got areas opening up on the allotment where the soil is going to be bare, which is we've already said we don't want to see. I'll sow mustard. And, uh, the big rule with it, I think, is when it comes, 
comes to digging it in the following year is don't let it get f- to flower because then it becomes very pithy. So right. it doesn't and it doesn't break down. So you, you end up putting it on the compost heap. So you want to take it out when it's still very tender and flush as it comes up. But it comes up quite quickly. It'll sit there for the winter, dig it in in the in early spring. Is that you're talking the same sort of mustard leaves? Yeah, that mustard leaves. Yeah, yeah. So you could also you could harvest do, some of it if well, you, you wanted. Could, yeah, you could do. Yeah. But you get specialised green manure mustard okay. seed. So I buy them in a big packet. The other thing I like to use is is, is ground beans as well. I know Anton's a big favourite of them again because that cover it's a legume so as rhizobium as a nitrogen fixer on it roots so you're digging it back into the soil and improving the soil very much at the same time so i like ones that i know that aren't gonna be there or get heavy roots down and tap roots down and end up being a problem for me i like them to be annuals things that i know are going to expire yeah okay well, one thing i must say is that the uh the grass has grown absolutely non-stop and it was, was so wet it's hardly been mown so never mind no mow may it's basically no mow that's, <laughs> that's the end of it yeah, really yeah, yeah. um obviously i do want to get it back into a kind of a, a, a garden lawn again yeah um what's your advice for a, for a garden that's full of long wet grass well you're gonna to have to cut it i think that you, you you know you'll have to wait for a dry day and then you just put it on a really high cut you don't want to scalp it because otherwise it'll just take a while to recover it will recover but you'll just end up with a yellow lawn or a lawn that looks very tatty so obviously i'm actually i've mown lawns i remember mowing one in africa I, I had a community football match where i it got about a foot long so i tilted up the mower to an angle and went up and down it and gradually got it back lower and lower that way so higher cut is important just make sure you go in with a really high cut and then gradually take it down to the height you want it afterwards it's not going to do it any harm you might end up with a lot of thatch in there as a result of it because you get dying leaves and that forms like a bed amongst the root system that can impede growth so just get a lawn rake on it once you've cut it and pull all that out that can go on the compost heap and that should get your lawn going again and before you mow what would you do to just be sure that you've given the wildlife a good, yeah. uh, you know, warning? Yeah, I think so. Walk the site. I think wildlife's pretty clever. I think it knows when an engine's coming. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, so definitely have a little walk the site, maybe walk around, and then just take your time over it. Move slowly. Don't zip up and down too quick. Uh, and so it has a little bit of a warning you're coming. Yeah, okay. So going back to food crops, um, what would you be thinking about sowing now to get us through that hungry gap in the early part of next year yeah it's always a tricky one I mean I like to let stuff sit I've said this before I like I have a lot of brassicas on site and they will things like kale and broccoli as long as they're caged and you're not letting the pigeons get them or even potatoes I'll let potatoes sit in the ground my turnips or swedes even leeks I'll let so I can tend to sow and I don't go in and harvest in one block I will pick them as I need them and that kind of gets around it and I will always try to sow quicker growing crops like salad leaves in between and just see if the weather plays ball with me basically you don't quite know but that's what i try to do so i think that you're sowing obviously your cat you can still sow cabbages for the spring this kind of stuff i think that don't be in a rush to just pull it all out and one go. yeah yeah and i'm no i don't have any problems with that i kind of that's why on my christmas day i have a lot of organic stuff because the parsnips and stuff will just sit in the ground and i'll pull them as i need them very good tip and also kind of takes the stress away a bit as well because you know there's that there is that time when you know coming up sort of towards the end of august and it starts sort of through september where if yeah. you don't harvest and, and preserve and freeze yeah. you are going to lose well, that, it but that, there's those there's those hardier veg you know leave them there it's, yeah. it's your larder and you can also you can play uh, little bits as well that's why people lose uh, use uh, polytons or you can use cloches so you've got a little bit of protection you can get a little bit of warmth going in the soil so there are sort of little methods you can for sowing sort of more quicker 
crops. So we're, we're later on, we're going to be hearing from um, Pam Whittle, um, yeah. who uh, I interviewed recently, and she lives in Scotland. Yes. Um, and uh, I know you've lived in Scotland too, I did, Chris. yes. Yeah. I, love, I love that country with a passion. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. absolutely. So do I. Yeah. So tell us what you were doing when you, when you were up there. Well, I was at Edinburgh Royal Botanics. That's where I did my degree, basically. So it's a very interesting place because I think in many ways, Scotland is sort of home of horticulture, all the big collectors, you know, uh, um, Douglas, all these people, the people of the, the hooker who set queue up was a Glaswegian. So I very see it much as the home of horticulture. It's an interesting dynamic because it's a lot colder up there, particularly Edinburgh. I promise you I can get dressed under a duvet in 30 seconds flat <laughs> because uh, I live in a very drafty student flat. So you are dealing with different challenges, but I work with big botanical collections who quite a lot of that sort of woody temperate stuff likes the cooler temperatures, likes it. You know, it gets a bit more confused down south because it's hard to know things get warm and, you know, it's, it plays around a little bit more. But that sort of cold winter's guaranteed up there means a lot of temperate stuff, magnolias, if you like, and cherries all tend to flower really well. So there are pros and cons to it, I think. Obviously, your daylight is much much lower and so your 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 season is shorter and you need to play to that as well yeah okay um there's this microclimates all around Scotland though, yes. are there? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, really unusual Well, yeah, well it's sort of, um, obviously, um, the Botanic Gardens have got satellites, so you can grow on the coasts. And Logan Botanic Garden is a good example where you can grow pine. Um, they've got, like, Dixonia, tree fern avenues, all this stuff, because they get the med, so you get these little pockets. I think that's quite an important thing. You, uh, no two gardens are the same. They all have their own microclimate, and you'll find them everywhere. Indeed. And, I mean, a very interesting sort of, place really uh, you know in terms of um how how little light in the winter but then how much light yeah. in the summer i remember going nightclub in there and i went in at 12 and it was light and i came in at two and it was still light <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious I, never I was the only cockney up there as well i was there three years i was up there three years i never heard another cockney accent so my joke was always two million came south and one went north <laughs> and his name was Chris Collins. <laughs> and they still remember to this day, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, lovely to talk, Chris. See you next month. Cheers, Fiona. Towards the end of last year, Pam Whittle became Garden Organics Vice President for Scotland. Pam is passionate about how important it is for people to know how to grow their own food. Pam is also the former president of Scotland's Royal Caledonian Horticultural Society, known as the Cali. And I started by asking her to tell us all about it. The Cali is unusual because it is a mix of both amateur and professionals, essentially run by volunteers. It was established in 1809 by many of the same people that established the RHS in, in London. Okay, so a long tradition then of the Cali showing people how to garden. And in fact, when I wanted to come to live in Scotland, it was considered a bit of a joke that you wanted to live in Scotland and grow vegetables because Scotland is not brilliantly known for its um, uh, horticultural expertise in terms of growing vegetables. Many of the Scottish gardeners actually moved south to England and worked in the big gardens and didn't work in Scotland anymore. So there was a big concern. So it's a, it's all about those things, those sorts of everyday things. And it was sharing that knowledge and that expertise. And that's why they set it up. I, how is gardening in Scotland different then? I, and I, because I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm sitting down in Worcester. Mm -hmm. and uh which is my home 
and uh you know i i'm looking out you know where are we now it's it's june when i'm talking to you uh i'm looking out at an you know a garden where you know the spring color is completely past scotland's temperature is not all one temperature and that's what people think it's always cold i live in a very cold spot but I live in the south and everybody thinks that if you live in the south, it's warm. And if you live in the north, it's hot. If you live in the west, it's wet. And in the east, it's dry. Well, that is in the, in the, in the generality, that is quite right. But this, the variation in Scotland is huge. And, and I think that's because you have to, if you think about where we are in the world in comparison to Norway and places like that, you will begin to understand why there is that variation and uh, the closeness to Ireland in other places. So that's why the West is wet, because as you know, Ireland gets an awful lot of rain. So does the West of Scotland. And, and, and it's, a, it's, so you can't really generalise. And, and I think that's, that's what I learned. But I learned when I came to Scotland that, that it's the daylight hours are that what makes the biggest difference. Yes, of course. And I think um, it's beautiful at the moment because we have long days. Uh, I mean, I'll have a day lot much longer than yours at the moment, um, but um, in the south. But my my parents who used to come and visit from Bristol could never get over that it was still light. You know, <laughs> there are times when even me in the south of Scotland, south part of Scotland, you know, have very long days. But that period is quite short. It'll only be a another oh, a few days, and it'll, the days will start getting shorter again. And I think that's the thing that's incredible, isn't it? Because you think of the climate perhaps as cooler, um, but 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 then you combine a cooler climate with more sunlight, and actually something different is going to happen. Surely, yes, and that's exactly right. So you have to learn to adjust to that. I'm interested in this notion that you've got longer light for shorter time and and what what can what really can work in those conditions goodness gracious me I wish I knew the answer to that <laughs> but I mean potatoes grow particularly well in Scotland because and that's why most of seed certification actually comes from Scotland in fact we're worried because of the increasing temperature that's two years in a row we've it's been very hot i've we've had We've had frosts that same weekend during my time in Scotland, and I didn't move to Scotland to live until 2001. Yeah, just to keep people in. So we've, we've just, uh, Pam and I have just seen each other at um, the uh, Schoon Palace Garden Fair, which is Scotland's only gardening show. It was it's in its second year uh, this year, and, um, and it was during the first weekend of June, um, and it was absolutely baking hot clear blue skies i honestly you i would not have if you just if i just landed there i would have thought i was you know in in you know a long way down france i i really really couldn't believe how hot it was um the surrounding countryside uh was you know lush green beautiful but i did notice an awful lot of fir trees that did not seem to have made it through um, from last year. And I'm assuming that that must have been that drought patch that we had. It's, it's quite startling on the, on, on the drive back down through South Scotland.
Scotland, how many of those trees have died? I, um, I think it's more to do with the fact that at the end of 2022, we had a very sudden, very cold spell. And then, um, and then the winter generally, I mean, I mean, really cold. It was, it was minus 18 here. So you didn't have that week that we had last summer where, you know, temperatures got up to 40? No, 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 no. We no, got it hot, but not 40. Not that much, no. But then over the winter with them, we had a relatively mild winter. And then just as we thought we were coming out of it, we had another exceptionally cold spell. And just as uh, the plants were beginning to recover, so it's had a double whammy. And uh, that's what they won't have liked. So it seems extreme. There may be some, I mean, there are, there there is drought, obviously, uh, because we haven't, definitely haven't had as much um, rain as usual. Um, But uh, it's not been like your, your, your weather in the south of England or middle England, even, sorry. So let's just talk a bit about food and food shortages and kind of that dawning realisation, I think, that we've all had that actually if if we can grow some of our own, it's going to stand us in good stead or, or at least if we can um, be connected to locally grown food, that's a way forward. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that, that food growing is important? I have always grown my own food. I've always wanted to grow my own food. And I think the big problem is, you know, I'm I'm older. And I, so I've been brought up in that way. I've been brought up to have an allotment. I've been brought up to grow the vegetables in my own garden. I think there's a gap in in people's awareness or or experience of it. And it isn't just because they live in flats, and it isn't just because they haven't got an allotment. I, I had I had some somebody I was with the other day had never tasted a broad bean, and I find that really quite distressing in a way. Something's gone wrong somewhere, and I I'm not quite sure where it is. The people I speak to, most of them are going to be keen on vegetables. And it's how you get that message across. And I know from my experience in in public health that that it's not about telling people to eat healthily. It's actually about them wanting to eat healthily. It's about them wanting to um, change the way they do things. If you tell somebody they don't want to do it, if they want to do it, I think that makes a huge difference. Let's just talk a bit about that because. Um... The public health um, aspect to your background um, in Scotland uh, mm-hmm. is is really really interesting, and I think it would be good just to sort of understand what your role was. Uh, I was involved in public health and and health improvement with the Scottish government, and I was involved with um, introducing the 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 ban on smoking in public places, where the people's voice was so so important. And I was involved with trying to improve the quality of food in Scotland, people's diet rather, not the quality of the food, but people's diet Um, and other aspects of that, making people uh, more physically active. I actually gave a talk on allotment growing to the physical activity people because I think that's really important. Um, um, So it wasn't, they shouldn't all be compartmentalised. They all add up to the whole. And I think... um, 
I think my involvement was probably um, one of the, in a way it was because it's so, it's so much part of me, um, you know, uh, that I think that, um, I think that's why I was so passionate about it. And do you see um, gardening as a sort of, you know, a, 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 a a solution in that scenario not a solution but i think it is a contribute i think i mean you can tell that from the pandemic the number of people that have uh who have re-engaged with walking in the park and things like that i mean i i um, i don't i don't live in edinburgh but i will i do drive into edinburgh 20 miles um uh every week two or three times not to go to the park but to be in the park to help people enjoy the park, because I think that's really important. And it's, it's and my, um, uh, you know, um, we have a teaching garden at, at Sockton. And within that garden, the, the area where we have more people come and ask us questions is the bit where we're growing the vegetables. Some of them just come along to find out, should I have planted my carrots yet? I think in one of the um, recent pieces of legislation, I say recent, probably at some point in the last 10 years or so, it was where the um, growing had been included as you know, community activity. I remember I looked at yeah, There is up. in Scotland, there's a community yes. engagement bill. In Scotland, we have a community engagement bill, which includes an element of it, which is about the development of uh, allotment spaces. Every local authority has to to produce this strategy, which is about increasing the uh, the availability and having a strategy for its management. And so how does that play out? It's still fairly early, to be honest. They've done them. But I think it'll take some time before you can actually assess if it is having any impact. If you go and if you talk to people, we, we did a recent... Um, um, stock take at uh, the spring show uh, about people who had whether they had an allotment, how long they'd been waiting for allotment. Because um, I think the problem is that people want to have an allotment which is quite near them, and sometimes they'll find themselves. I mean, I was talking to a lady the other day who'd waited eight years for an allotment, but allotments are not cheap these days, they used to be relatively cheap to have they are not cheap uh, and therefore you, it's important that people know how to use them and how and what to grow because otherwise they get despondent and the and the uh, and things deteriorate quite quickly so going back to the skills shortage shall we say you know we all know that you know um growing and and horticulture is not taught in schools um, and um, people are reliant on having the skills sort of passed on to them perhaps by somebody else uh, a friend or a family member um, I think this is something you feel quite passionate about quite a lot happens in primary schools they're they they're young they're enthusiastic they're keen they taste a pea for the first time and it blows their mind. They dig up a potato for the first time and they don't know what it is almost. And yet they eat them every day. It's the um, it's the 12 to 18 year old where we have the real struggle. I know that from the teenagers that I that I that I have uh, been involved with at the Cali um, 
during lockdown. It was really interesting. So um, I'm going to explain to people that the Cali has um, its very modest office um, based at Softon Park um, in Edinburgh. Um, and uh, if you go to Softon Park, a beautiful park that's just had a massive transformation that you were heavily involved in. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um, there's a cafe there, um, but there's also um, the kitchen garden and some um, uh, beds and, and a little bit of a greenhouse area where you show people, teach people um, how to get started, how to how to how to garden. Um, it sounds to me like you're exceedingly passionate about that being on display. So this is a public park. Anyone can just walk in. It's not a garden that, that you have to pay for entry or anything like that. Um, it, it's, it, you know, anyone can just go and see. And, and I, uh, that to me sounds like a very, very key and important place to start. And I, I actually can't think of a park I know in any of my area where I live or or across the West Midlands even where you could just go in and see food being grown. Um, and I think that element of being in a public space is really important. Um, well, we, we have a, a very large teaching garden area, which we don't solely use for vegetables, but 95% of it is used for vegetables. Because I think that's what that's what we've discovered that people aren't interested in looking at. But we also, um, when the cafe is operational, we also grow vegetables for the for the cafe and things like that, so people can actually eat it. We have uh, vegetables in the demonstration beds as well as in the teaching area. So there is that mix of sites. But you can uh, the whole idea of Sochtem is to have. Um, an element of almost anything that you could think of in a garden. But I think it's about having that, making it more accessible to everybody. And that means about seeing it and um, being involved. So if children come and there are potatoes to um, that need to be lifted, we get the children to come in, any child, not just a, not a group, but a child who happens to be visiting the park and you will say to them, would you like to come up and dig a vegetable? Would you like to come and see if we can find a potato? It's that sense of involvement and excitement. And to be honest, it's nine times out of ten the parents who get more excited than the child. <laughs> and I mean, and in perhaps we could just talk about parks in general for a moment, um, mm -hmm. because you know uh, that they have had somewhat of a period. Uh, perhaps out in the wilderness and and have suddenly sort of been rediscovered um, since the pandemic. Yes. Mm. I think that's I think that's right. Um, um, uh, you know, parks have been rediscovered, but it's also people have really begun to appreciate how much they appreciate them. I think they took it for granted before, and I I don't think they take it for granted in quite the same way. We're very lucky in Edinburgh. Edinburgh has quite a lot of parks. So we do have a lot of parks, but we constantly need to ensure that those parks are well managed in order to be appreciated properly. And I think that's a, still a struggle with um, uh, councils because they are short of cash. They are desperately short of cash. And I, 
and in a way, the Cali really helps uh, maintain the park to this high standard because we work, we are committed. And while the Cali is there, we are definitely committed to having a um, horticultural excellence as part of its remit. Um, but we are there for the public and enjoy their experience. And every time I'm there, um, people will remark about how how lovely the parks are. But there aren't a lot of pub, a gar, um, council gardeners there. There are two. I mean, the the management of, of green spaces, um, as we know, the, the funding cuts have meant that you know your 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 usual sort of small army of park staff is is very much a thing of the past yes. um and that does mean that there is a role for us gardeners to perhaps step up yes i think we um i we have um have still got a a member of the cali who actually worked as a young apprentice at Sockton, and there were 16 gardeners at the time feel quite optimistic that um, horticultural skills are going to come back into the fore um, because we absolutely have to manage our green spaces in such a way as to um, preserve and, and enhance um, insect life and, and bird life and soil life as much as possible in, in our towns and cities. And that's going to take some professional input. So I think that it will come back round, but I think there's going to be a different style of horticulture for the future. I don't know if you agree. I'd like to think that there was room for vegetables in that. I, I, I know that sounds as if I'm just I'm just sort of being polite to you because a lot of garden organic is about vegetable growing but I genuinely do think that is how to make it relevant to people's lives so we would like to see you would like to see more parks have vegetable with an gardens. element of yeah I, I genuinely would time now for the post bag i'm here with emma o'neill our head gardener and chris collins hello chris hi emma good hi. to see hi, you got some great questions this time so first of all my tomatoes are a good size looking healthy overall however they have developed leaf curl at the top of all the plants i can't see any aphids and i have tried spraying them with a very weak washing up liquid do you have any suggestions as to what could be causing the leaf curl this is a particular question from one of our members um, but we've had a few similar questions um, so it sounds like this could all be a bit of a common problem so first of all what's causing the leaf curl Emma? It's more than likely to be environment so um, nighttime temperatures often cause it so the sudden drop in temperature and all the plant's actually trying to do is protect itself by curling up its leaves. One of the other common problems is watering so if you have a tendency to water a lot in one go and then you leave it and you dry it out it's sort of reacting to that so it's best to water them regularly on a regular basis. It's unlikely to be aphids from that. And um, I wouldn't recommend spraying them with washing up liquid. No, indeed. And um, uh, we tend to advise not to spray with anything because mm. although washing up liquid is, you know, safe for human consumption, we don't know anything about mm. whether or not it's safe for other animals and predators in the garden. Um, 
But what would you do, Chris, in, in this instance? There aren't any aphids, but if there were, as well as leaf mm. curl, what would you do? I'd, I'd agree with that, certainly. Um, I don't think really washing up liquid is really the answer to this. I think because basically you're probably putting off the predators as well, the stuff you want to come and eat those aphids. So planting for ladybird, for hoverflout fly, so they come in and tackle the problem for you is the best. So you don't want to interrupt the natural cycle of things. So maybe put some fennel in to get the hoverfly in, let it flower, and then that, that, that predators will take care of the problem for you. You're preempting it with a fairy liquid. There's no really reason to do that. You know, you want to make sure that you get a natural balance around the plant and then hopefully the um, aphid will be cleared up. Okay, and the leaf curl, is that going to affect the harvest, do we think? No, no not no. generally. I, I, it's, I've got it now at the moment on the balcony. I've got it with the tomatoes on there. I've got it in the allotment. I think we've had cool nights, yeah. quite cool nights, and I think like Emma's described, it's just a natural reaction of the plant. My advice to everyone listening, don't panic. It's not going to affect <laughs> your yields. You'll still have some lovely tomatoes if the sun can come out. Yes. <laughs> I haven't got any leaf curl, I'd just like to say. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's watering properly. (laughs) All right, so uh, some nipplewort has apparently grown in amongst somebody's (laughs) lavender. What do we think of that, Chris? Sounds a bit painful, isn't it? (laughs) It's the last place you want your nipplewort is in your (laughs) lavender. (laughs) Well, listen, I don't even know what nipplewort is, so could you explain that first of all? Well, it's an annual plant, an annual, I suppose many people, describe it as a weed or I'm not keen on that word myself but an annual what an annual does is it overwinters as seed then it germinates grows flowers and sets seeds in the, in the growing season so then it produces more seed it can do that multiple times during the season this nipple water is a nice oh, quite beautiful little plant I think it's got small dandelion type flowers quite tall with thin stems and spade shaped leaves you'll sort of see it growing next to roads or railways or along uh, fences because it, it seed probably moves dandelions very like a dandelion seed fluffy and so it gets carried in the wind in the slipstream so that's how it spreads so it's quite distinguishable if you think of a small little yellow dandelion about what diameter one centimeter diameter flower yeah. very similar to a dandelion that's where you'll see it very thin stems I get it where I am. I get it in my verge in the car park. It grows on a little wild area where I sow, resow my hardy annuals. I'm quite happy for it to be in there. The pollinators love it. It has, like all plants, a good use, but maybe it depends where or not you want it to grow. And it likes a loamy soil, so it's going to like our back gardens, isn't it, generally? Emma, how would you manage it organically? It's easy to pull it out. Really, and I believe the question was they were worried about their lavender. It's like any weed or plant that you don't actually want in that place. It's going to compete for nutrients and water. So therefore, if you don't want it to do that, you need to remove it. But as Chris said earlier, it is good for pollinators. So if you can stand some in your garden, I'd leave it. I'd let it flower, but then I would get it out before it sets seed. (laughs) It's uh, it's also it is a very natural plant, it, and it's, it's if you can get it somewhere else, if you have a wild area, something yeah. like that, it looks it goes into those areas really well, I think, and it does a job. It does a job definitely. But Emma says the most important thing with annual all annuals is pull them before they seed. And most annuals pull very very easily. They haven't got the long tap root. They're not perennial. They won't. You know, you don't have to yank them out or dig them up. They'll pull very very easily. So just get them before they set, so they start to flower. Okay, and edible as well, apparently, so you could scatter them on your salads. Absolutely delicious. Right. Nipple wart salad, that sounds all right. <laughs> now, uh, on to herbs. Um, I've recently bought some reduced-priced herbs in pots from the supermarket, and I'd like to try and grow them on in the garden. Is this possible? I have basil, chives, and parsley. 
Well, obviously, these are supermarket herbs. They're reduced already, so that suggests they're perhaps on the turn. Um, but supermarket herbs do die really quite quickly. Yeah. Emma, talk us through why that is. Often it's because they're probably grown hydroponically. They normally absolutely shed loads of seed in one very small pot with hardly any soil in them. They're then put in a supermarket condition, which is air conditioned and wrapped in plastic. So they don't have the most auspicious start to begin with, really. Indeed. So you're ending up really with a weak plant. Yes. If you were starting um, to sow these yourself or grow them yourself, Chris, what, what would be your method of growing these yourself? Well, I like to grow these from seed, basically, and I'll grow these in my... I've got a, like a netted polytunnel on my allotment and I've got a big old trough and I just sow them quite densely in little drills in those with, with some peat-free compost. And I, they, that come up fine, but then I'll thin them out and then I'll start to use them. It's interesting you say about hydroponics because what they're grown for is they are grown to expire, so you go and replace them. So they're grown, so they're great if you can pull them apart and put them on your dinner, but they're not going to live as plants very long. I think if you're growing yourself, you can you get a good three months out of them, you can reseed things like basil, you can reseed things like coriander and parsley. The chives are a bit tougher, you can probably overwinter them and get them going on further. But I think from seed is where you'll get the best taste. Organic sown seed at home in a trough or in the open ground if you can do it will taste much, much better than anything you'll ever buy from the supermarket. And I've never really, unless anybody else has, I've never actually seen pot-grown organic herbs in supermarkets. So it's just worth pointing out that they probably have been sprayed. Um, However, all that said, if you wanted to grow them on, um, the suggestion that we would have around basil is to root it in water, isn't it, Emma? Yeah, Yeah. that's really easy. And I would just take uh, the strongest ones, so you'll be able to tell those with good leaves on it. You break them apart very easily because, as I said, the soil will be quite soft around it. Take those that are the strongest, just pop them in some water, and then once you've got strong roots, pop them on. That's yeah. a good one, isn't it? If you've not got a garden or you've just got a balcony or you haven't got the space to sell yeah. seed, then you can do that as well. Yeah, exactly, and you can grow them on the windowsill, and, and even rooting them on the windowsill is another way of prolonging, yeah. prolonging that, that basil because uh, you can you can still use the leaves even when it's bare to be rooted. Chives, how would you deal with a pot of chives? Well, they're a lot tougher than anything else, and so I would hope that you'd have sufficient plants in there to be able to divide them they grow best outdoors so i would again very carefully split them so you've got plenty of soil put them in a nice sunny location yeah okay parsley i have to say good luck with that i mean the parsley really is very weak by the time you get it isn't it if you're if you're buying it in, in a pot in the supermarket i've never been able to successfully grab it from a supermarket pot so. Okay, so uh, go back to uh, basics and, and grow the parsley yourself from seed. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one to germinate. It doesn't germinate um, automatically, um, but I found actually when I've sown parsley that um, I it, it it very often I, I've put an, uh, a parsley seed in a tray at one stage. Um, the first lots come up, and um, then I've sort of taken it out, potted it on, and then all of a sudden. When I think I've got just a, a load of soil there and nothing happening, another lot will come and it keeps germinating. So it's one of those really interesting seeds that isn't quite so sort of robotic in its behaviour. No, they come up sort of as and when. 
So I think it's one of those that you have to be patient with. A bit like coriander, that's the same, isn't it? They can be erratic in their sign. Yeah, that's why it's quite nice. If you sign them in a drill, sign quite dense, just let it do its thing. Now, they'll, maybe they'll, you know, they come over at separate times and you'll be okay. I think it's also be careful with bolting, don't you? Know, if yeah, it gets a bit hot, much. they can sort of go to seed quite quickly, maybe pinch them out. That'll maybe yeah. stop that. Although, of course, you could then grow some of them on for pollinators. Yes, a good idea. Actually, you mentioned chives, which is a member of the onion family. The bees absolutely yeah. love it. You get those lovely purple little flowers, and they, I've got some on the balcony. It's been, been there years. It's a tough little plant, and when it's flowering, it's always covered in bees. I always think, have a go with herbs. It's a great way to learn about gardening. Yeah. Thanks ever so much, Chris, Emma. See you next time. Cheers, Fiona. Bye. Bye. That's all we've got time for this month. If you're a member of Garden Organic, then you should just have received your edition of the Organic Way magazine, full of interesting facts and figures about organic growing, with a double-page spread all about growing green manures. And at the beginning of September, our team will be at the BBC Gardener's World Autumn Fair at Audley End. If you're there, do come and see us. And now, thanks to Kevin McLeod for our theme music. That's it. Until next time.